All right, well, last week we wrapped up a series. Um, we entitled it One Hit Wonders. And we, we, we taught through the five books of the Bible that only have a single chapter. And the, we, we kind of skip over these small books sometimes. And, and how about you, but um, I hope that you had fun. I had a ton of fun preaching it. And uh, so we went through those five books. We went through Obadiah, Philemon, first, our second and third John, and the book of Jude. And it was just fun allowing these five books kind of dictate the topic and the content of each Sunday. And so we wrapped all that up last week. If that sounds interesting to you and maybe you have a commute to work, you can always go to newlifeforkokomo.org and get caught up on all of our messages. They're all archived online there. And so you can get caught up. Um, but today we're going to start a new series for the next four weeks. We're going to start a series called Happily Ever After. And we are going to be diving into marriage and relationships. Now, if you're married, uh, this is going to be hopefully enriching for you. Um, if you're single, I still think this will be enriching to you. Uh, marriage is a gift. It, it's certainly a gift. Um, but Paul even talks about that singleness is a gift. And uh, Paul talks a lot about his singleness. And so if you are single here today, uh, maybe you need to just uh, mingle a little bit, find some other singles. I don't know. Uh, but, but some people are called to be single, like the Apostle Paul was. And so if you are single, this in no way is uh, to subtract from your experience for the next four weeks. I think that you can glean a lot of good from it. If you're married or maybe you're single and you want to be married, you definitely want to lean in to this series um, over the next four weeks. Last Sunday evening, we held our first marriage event here at New Life uh, in my tenure, and um, we had about 100 people here in the room for dinner and a time of enrichment in their marriage. It was a, an event we called Tighten the Knot. And we saw over a, about 100 people tightening a lot last Sunday night. And so um, if you were there, uh, hopefully that you found it enriching and inspiring for your relationship. Hopefully you still have the notes from that event and you're looking over them. I know Jenny and I, we've, throughout the week, we have talked about some of the things that we, we talked about in that event. And so to piggyback on that big event we just did for married people, we're going to start this series called Happily Ever After. And today we're going to talk about holy marriage. Holy marriage. Uh, I know that uh, my first few weeks of being married, this is kind of my expression. I was like, holy marriage. <laughs> I'm kind of in a different tone here. And I was like, holy marriage? What have I? Wow. You know, I grew up one of four boys. And I had been a bachelor living on my own for three years. And then Jenny and I got married. She moved in. And I was like, what is this thing called woman? I, I've, I don't think I've ever lived in this close of proximity to a girl before. And it was kind of shocking to me. So I was, holy marriage. Uh, but, but we're going to talk about but holy marriage. Marriage, God's way. And over the course of these, these, this series, we're, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different subjects. But I really felt like we should kind of talk about marriage for what it is, a biblical stance for marriage, because if you are not connected to a local church, then you likely, so if you think about the people of our world that are not connected to a local church, they will not hear the truth of marriage that we will talk about today. 
And also, uh, I, I can't hardly blame people for the way they handle relationships and marriage that are not connected to a local church, that are not doing it God's way, that they don't have a holy marriage. And so it is important then for the church that we have holy marriages, that, and it's important for me as your pastor to ensure that periodically we teach what the world won't tell you about relationships and marriage and how to do it the right way. And at the end, I'll tell you why that is so extremely important that I think that if we actually begin to help bring wholeness and healing to marriages, we can actually help bring wholeness and healing to the nation. We'll talk about that at the end. So holy marriage. Marriage is God's idea. Did you know that? It's God's idea. It's God's covenant. And ultimately, marriage is an illustration. It is an illustration of God's reflection to mankind of two becoming one, the defining relationship which is between Christ and the church. So again, if you're not married and you don't want to be married, you're called to singleness. If you're divorced and you don't want to remarry again, listen, there's still substance in this message for you today because the reality is the marriage is a picture of our relationship to the Lord, Christ and his church. And it, which is so important to understand that so that our, our real relationships as married people can reflect that same love and grace of God. In Genesis chapter 1, I, I kind of did a mashup of a few different verses here. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for when I saw her, I said, whoa, man. Oh. Uh, it says, for when I, for she was taken out of man. And I know that the first time I saw Jenny, I said, whoa, whoo, whoa. I actually, the first time I saw Jenny, I was in a grocery store, and, uh, and I had to run to the end of the aisle to get another look. I'm like, did I just see what I saw? I did see what I saw. I like what I saw. I want to see more of what I saw. Actually, and speaking of my wife, I can speak pretty freely today because she's not in the room. <laughs> my wife is actually, she's back in the kids' ministry today. Uh, so typically, I mean, if you don't see her on the front row, uh, that's usually where she is. She's back with our kids, the kids back there. And um, I wish she were here, and, uh, but we're just going to speak freely. How about that? <laughs> typically, this is, these are scripture verses we read a lot during a, uh, during a wedding ceremony. Uh, this idea that God created man in his own image and likeness. And for six days, God created. And after every day, God created. We read this in the book of Genesis. He steps back and he says, that's good. God created and he said, that's good. The next day, God created. He said, that's good. One thing was not good. 
Out of all God created, it was all good except one thing. That man needed a suitable helper. It was not good that man be alone. So he created a woman. And thereby we have the, this, what we call the, uh, the, the, the first mention. And it's a theological term of how we can, can even uh, interpret some things in Scripture is the law of first mention. And the first mention of man and woman is that they are suitable together, created to be united together. And therefore the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Whoa, man. And so this gives us kind of a nature for how, of what marriage is, what relationships are, the relationship between men and women can be. And so today I want to talk about the nature of marriage. And I'm going to have more points than usual. I like three. You know I like three, but I'm going to give you seven things about the nature of marriage. If you're like, whoa, slow down, professor, that's okay. You can always, actually, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go to the Bible app and you go, go to the menu, go to events. You can actually, every week, you can see all of, all of the things you see on the screen, you can see on your phone. And so now if I see on your phone, I'm going to assume you're not checking your social media. I'm going to assume that you're looking at your message notes as I see some people are right there, right there, right there. People are already looking at their message notes on the Bible app. So I don't know if you knew that, but you can do that. So seven things, but if you want to write them down, you can write them down. If not, they're online. Um, the first part, the nature of marriage, the first thing, again, these are things that I'm going to tell you today that people are not hearing in the world and they're essential to the marriage, which is essential to healing our nation. The first thing is uh, the nature of marriage is man and woman. In the beginning, God created man. It was not good for him to be alone. So he created for him a suitable helper. His, her name is woman. And they were now, now they are brought together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They are one together. And so the law of first mention tells us that, that the, the only correct alignment of marriage is man and woman. And any other combination other than man or and woman is not ca- categorically correct. But God brought these two together, and this is the proper function of marriage. The first part of the nature of marriage is man and woman. Now, there are a lot of obviously controversial things about those types of things today, specifically to say that marriage is only man and woman, but, I, but I'm just here today to show you and teach you from what Scripture says and what has been correct for in, in all of history, really. And, and again, Genesis 1.27, God said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good, remember, to, for man to be alone. I will create for him a suitable helper. And that suitable helper to man was woman. Genesis 2.22 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. He said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, for she has been taken out of the man. So the first part of the nature of marriage is man and woman. And, and if you remember in some of the things that we talked about in the last few weeks, um, in our previous series, we talked a lot about false teaching in some of these books. And that false teaching is really taking a truth 
and twisting it just a little bit. That twisting, another word for twisting, is to pervert or to twist. And there is a perversion, a twisting of the truth of marriage that is has been a battle for eons of time, but has definitely been escalating in the last several years, hasn't it? And so we're talking about holy marriage. Holy marriage starts with man and woman. The second part of the nature of marriage is that marriage is sexually consummated. In other words, that, that the act of sex is something that is reserved for marriage. Now again, my, my goal here today is, is for the church to, be, to live and operate in holy marriage because I believe it can help change our families, our church, our community, and ultimately the world. And that, um, that sex, again, when God created things, he stepped back and he called it good. Well, God created sex, and I'm here to testify to you today. It is good. It's good. It's better than good. It's really good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, This is why a man leaves his wife, or leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become, watch this, they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt, say it with me, no shame. This this being made as one is what happens when marriage is sexually consummated. When a man and a wife come together in marriage, in intimacy, it, the, the bond of sex, it bonds people together kind of in soul, in the soul. And that's why it's such a powerful tool for consummating marriage and why God has, has reserved sexual acts, sexual activity, for marriages, because it actually strengthens marriage, it, because it's the bonding of the two together. So, so to be bond is to be made one, woven together. And again, God is the creator of sex, and it is good. And um, what yet, yet. The act of sex is such a powerful thing. Sexual emotion is a powerful thing. So, so sexual activity, then, it comes with a warning. Think of it like if you've ever handled something that is hazardous, something that is powerful. If you've ever owned a handgun, or if you ever used fireworks, or if you even have a gasoline can. It has all kinds of warnings on the side. Because these, these things possess a power that needs to be used appropriately. And these warnings will tell you, if you do not use this according to the manufacturer's instructions, we are not liable for the, the, the potential of harm or even death. And, and sex has a warning. Its warning is for authorized use only. Caution, potentially hazardous. Use only as instructed. Harm or even death can occur if not used according to its instructions. And so you, with, when you have something that powerful, you don't run around flippantly with it. 
You guard it. You protect it. And when used appropriately, it can make a huge difference. And that is the same with, the, with sexual activity that God created, and he created it to be good. He created it with a purpose. Now, think of it as if you have the if you have a nuclear bomb, you don't run around with the nuke codes and an exposed nuclear button all the time. You want to guard it. You want to protect it. So there is no shame about it. Because remember, it says that Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Now, of course, this is speaking to the fact that, that sin had not entered the world yet. But here's the thing about sex is that religion has shamed it, but actually the kingdom of God celebrates it, but the world has perverted it. I'll say that again. Religion has shamed it. The kingdom of God actually celebrates it, but the world perverts it. So there's this constant battle over sex and its activity. But it's time we get it right. 1 Corinthians 7, it says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likeness to, uh, and, the, and the likewise, the wife to her husband. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And maybe there's relationships that are having a little bit too much prayer. Okay, never mind. (laughs) Then come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here's what we know. Here's what we know about sexual activity is that it is for marriage. It's for marriage. And so when it comes to sexual activity, it's important to save it for your spouse. And then when you get married, reserve it only for your spouse. So in one way, you have to guard it to get it to the honeymoon suite. And then forevermore, you have to guard it to keep it with them. So it is for marriage. Also, what we know is that there is a battle for purity. More and more all the time, we're seeing um, a delusion of purity, that we are encouraging young people, even at a younger and younger age, to... To, to be active in their sexual activity. And we actually, the world celebrates this. But there is a battle for purity. That's why Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. And so um, I would tell you today, whether you're listening here in person or you're listening online today, and I want you to know that if you are currently in a relationship, and you're not married, and you are engaging in sexual activity, I'm going to tell you like I've told hundreds of people in the past, and I want you to take a challenge. And so, and so listen, young ladies especially, young, young ladies, whether you're here today or you're listening later online, I want you to listen. If you're a young lady and you're in a relationship and you're sexually active and you feel the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now telling you, that you need, to, you need to leave that kind of life. You need, to res- you need to choose now. You're going to reserve that activity for when you're married. I want you to take a simple challenge. I want you, starting today, 
to engage no longer in sexual activity until you're married. And the person you're dating with that maybe you're engaged with at this very moment, you need to have an honest conversation with him, young lady, and tell him that you will not be participating in that any longer. You will find out in the next two weeks what he really thinks of you. You will find out if he really is dedicated to you or if he is not. So I challenge you to accept my challenge. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying you need to set this aside, reserve it for marriage, do it the way God, remember, comes with a warning. Use only as instructed. To not do so may result in harm or even death. So that's my challenge to you. So the, so, um, the nature of marriage, man and woman, it is sexually consummated. The third thing is that it is a permanent union. A permanent union. Uh, marriage is not, uh, I, I fear today that people idolize weddings so much because of their beauty and the event and the party and having your friends and, and, it's, and getting the pictures taken and it's Instagrammable and it's, you know, it, it's a great show that, that when you feel like your relationship, your dating relationship reaches a certain time, you just feel like you're supposed to, be mar- you're supposed to get married. It's going to be this great event. But uh, I think a lot of marriages are absent with that ultimate resolve that this is a permanent union. This is a permanent union. And I was a youth pastor for many, many years and, you know, and watching young people in and out of so many dating relationships. And I, w- I would tell them all the time, I was like, the, in and out of all of these serious relationships and you're being physical with all these people that you're in relationships with, you're practicing for divorce. You're, you're always looking to exchange one thing for what looks to be better. And then you're continuing to exchange over and over again. What you need to do is you need to embrace your singleness. You need to pursue the Lord. And then one day you need to look out to see who's, who, who, who's equal with you in this race, being equally yoked. And, and it's like I tell my own kids. I'm like, uh, you know, my, my two oldest boys, they're both 14. I'm like, we don't, we don't have girlfriends. You need to learn how to be friends with women, with, with, with girls. And you learn how to be friends, but, you, but you're nowhere ready to have a girlfriend. But as you develop friendships with girls, which they are, um, you, by pursuing God first, will know and, and, and mature into making a good decision. And if I could go on a small rabbit trail for a second, um, I don't believe you have a soulmate. I don't. I believe that God empowers you to make a good choice. And who you choose, you will need to choose every day because it's a permanent union. People are out there saying, I'm going to find my soulmate. And I understand what you're saying. Like, is Jenny my soulmate? And in, in the, in the essence that we are permanently unified together, then yes. But I chose her, and she chose me. People choose spouses all the time. Sometimes people make bad choices, and it leads to pain, and it even leads to divorce. But our call is not to try to find our soulmate, like, like that Hollywood has sold you this idea that you have a soulmate out there, and, and you're going you're gonna to see, you're gonna see sunshine around them. You're going to be like, oh, like, we're made to be together. You may find people that are compatible with you, yes, but at the end of the day, finding this permanent union is about making a good decision. 
And what we know about sexual activity is sexual arousal actually will decrease your IQ level by 20%. Okay, 25%. (laughs) If the average IQ of 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 a mature adult is 100, and when you are sexually aroused, your IQ drops 25%. What, where does that put you? 75. Mentally handicapped is considered to be 70. You're laughing because you know it's true. That decision-making under the pressure of sexual arousal is low. Man, this is why your wife can get you to do a lot of things sometimes. And so this is why when you are in a dating relationship, it is important to guard sexual activity in your life because it's not about finding your soulmate. It's about prayerfully making a good decision about who you'll spend the rest of your life with. It's a permanent union. And so what will help you is to guard sexual activity so that you can be in the and sober thinking, and then when you get married, lose your mind. Okay, lose your mind. <laughs> a permanent union. And our day longevity is, a, is losing its value. I, I'm always inspired when I meet people, and I, I'm thinking of, of Don Budd. Don Budd is a man of, with great longevity. And Don, if you don't mind sharing, how old are you today? 88 years old, my guy. And, um, you know, and Don Buzz spent his career at Haynes International. Is that, isn't that right? And I'm always inspired by people's story that they're like, yeah, like, I had this job for 30, 40 years. I'm like, the same job, the same job. I was with the same company, and I was married to the same woman, and I lived in the same house, and I've been going to the same church, and I'm still teaching the same thing. And I'm like, that's inspiring. Longevity is inspiring. And it's losing its value. Everything seems temporary because we live in such a consumerism mentality that it tells us that there's always something better. So lease the car, don't buy it. Get, get, get a, a, a better phone, a better home, a better job. The, consumer, the consumerism mentality, when in relationships, leads to divorce. It certainly will lead to frustration as one fantasizes about what could possibly be better. So marriage is a commitment to longevity. Commitment to longevity means we're going to struggle We're going to fight. We're going to be broke. We're going to get sick. We're going to have good times. We're going to have highs. We're going to have lows. But longevity is a commitment that we're doing it all together, baby. We're going to fight together. We're going to struggle together. We're going to be broke together. We're going to save money together. We're going to vacation together. We're going to have kids together. And then we're going to fight together. (laughs) But we're going to do it together because it is not good. God said it was not good for man to be alone. But he made for him a suitable Helper. 
Watch Matthew 19, this is Jesus speaking, and he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, uh, so they are no longer two, but they are one. And that's what happens when people get married. They bring in their two separate lives together and are now actually starting a new life, but it's not his, it's not hers, it's theirs together, the two becoming one. And then this is what Jesus says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is a permanent union. Let no one separate. So let nothing separate. Let no struggle separate. Let no money problems separate. Let no disagreements separate. No hurt and no outside person to separate what God has brought together. So what about divorce? Well, there is a reality of divorce for many people. And I even know that many people here today have experienced divorce in their life. And it's true that God, the scripture does say that God hates divorce. But I want you to know this is that God does not hate the divorced. God hates divorce. He does not hate the divorced. God hates divorce because it, he hates the destructive nature of divorce. And I, I, we will actually talk more about divorce next Sunday. And so if, if you've been through a divorce, this is not an invitation for you to run away next Sunday. I want you to hear, I want you to hear what God has to say. And I think it will inspire you. I really do. I think you will find a great encouragement about what God has to say. But just know this. If you've been through a divorce, the Lord is still for you. The Lord still believes in you. The Lord has hope for you. He has a future for you. And whether or not your divorce was for biblical reason, because there is biblical cause for divorce. Whether or not it was, what I know is, is there's always forgiveness and there's always healing. And you may not be able to go back on your past mistakes, but you can move forward in God's way. And that's hope. That's hope. So marriage, the nature of marriage, man and woman, sexually consummated, it's a permanent union. And number four, it's monogamous. Monogamous means, you know, like, you know what mono means? One. Uno. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And uh, uh, otherwise, it would be polygamous, which is more than one spouse. Now, the Creator's acts in establishing marriage, God's acts in establishing marriage are focused that we've all, everything we've read has been focused on singular man, singular, singular woman, one man, one woman. That's the order of marriage itself that we read in Genesis 2.24 is directed at a monogamous pair, man and wife, being singular. Now, polygamy did exist in the Old Testament era. And if you're familiar with, your, with the Bible, then you know that to be very true. The first case of polygamy in the Bible was actually Cain's line in 
in Genesis chapter 4, so the fourth chapter of the Bible, we see in Cain's line, we see polygamy where Cain took more than one wife. There are many Old Testament examples, including some of the patriarchs to follow. But polygamy is never upheld to be the ideal. Sometimes, it's important to remember, that sometimes the Bible says what happens, and sometimes the Bible records what God said. All kinds of things happen in the Bible that isn't what God said, but it is what happened. And it's just real about it. And so because polygamy exists in the Bible, and it even exists with patriarchs of the faith, it has never been the ideal. It has never been uh, affirmed by any teaching doctrine portions of Scripture, or what we call didactic Scriptures. Didactic Scriptures are teaching Scriptures. They are the Scriptures we build doctrine upon. But we don't build doctrine on narratives because all, a lot of the Old Testament is narrative form, which means it's telling a story. And we can get principles from it. But true doctrine and theology that we build is upon didactic scriptures that are teaching scriptures. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's permissive. But it is recording what happened. And, and, in the, and I have to remember, the Old Testament was written in the ancient world very ancient times. You wouldn't want to go back there. God has brought us a long way since there, okay? So it did exist. Um, It was never held to be the ideal. Old Testament writers actually, time and time again, Old Testament writers indirectly criticize polygamy as being problematic. When it talks, sometimes, many times it talks about a man that has a lot of wives or is polygamous, it always kind of uh, criticizes them and and likes to point out that they had a lot of pain, that there was a lot of pain and suffering because of these acts. So passages that, but all the passages of scripture that do idealize marriage do so by speaking of one husband and one wife. And I have a list of references there that we'll skip today for the sake of time. Jesus also affirms that God's ideal from the beginning was monogamy, speaking of man and wife, in singular form, with the two becoming one flesh. So uh, there is also, it's important to note that there is no reference of polygamy as a practice of the early church in the New Testament. But in any event, it would be prescribed for leaders by Paul's references to one man and one woman. Uh, and, And Paul talks about in 1 Timothy and in Titus that... These, that godly men and leaders of the church shall be a one-woman man. That's how he puts it in the New Testament. So, the uh, nature of marriage is that it is monogamous. We don't see polygamy much these days. Although I feel like it's trying to make a comeback. Uh, number five, marriage, the, the nature of marriage is that it is a covenant. A covenant. In other words, it is a solemn binding agreement made first before God and then among people. And so when we perform wedding ceremonies, which I've had the, the, the honor to perform many marriage ceremonies over my ministry, it's so fun, but it's two people uh, with, yes, with a crowd of witnesses, family and friends, it's exciting, it's beautiful, but they are making an, an agreement in the presence 
of God of their permanent union together. Actually, Ezekiel 16.8, it says it like this. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. And he's talking of a covenant relationship that, that is an illustration, that marriage is an illustration of God's covenant relationship with us, and marriage that as well. So from what is said, um, we see that the husband, he gave a solemn oath, he pledged faith to the wife and entered into a covenant not intended to be broken. Significantly, the Bible, the biblical marriage ceremony was a joyous public event in which the two partners solemnized their, their covenant with God and community. That's what makes weddings so exciting to be at, these two lives coming together in the presence of God, and we celebrate that. So a covenant is not something that we enter into lightly or without consideration. I don't know many people that have sat in, in the office of the title company with a stack of paper to sign a 30-year mortgage and their hands not shaking a little bit. <laughs> when they see, for, they're like, wow, the reality of 30 years of making this payment just got real. We, you know, you don't make those kinds of decisions lightly. But a covenant is not something that we enter into lightly either, especially the covenant of marriage. It is for life and it's in the sight of God. This is why a husband and a wife choose to wear a wedding ring. And uh, how many of you got your bling on? Let me see, married people, let me see your bling. It, we, we choose a wedding ring to be a symbol of our covenant relationship. Because, first of all, uh, this is my spiel when I do a wedding. So if you're ever, if you're ever at a wedding, I, do, I, I talk about the ring. The ring is a symbol because it's of its circular nature talks about its ongoing life cycle it's ongoing also we we select rings that are made from some of the finest materials gold silver titanium and the such because of their strength that in other words marriage shall be protected marriage shall continue until one day it is broken up by some outside force and that outside force would be death. And so the ring is a symbol of our covenant agreement with our spouses, an endless circle. The endless love of a marriage is what Paul talks about in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It is always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And the marriage union is an example of the model of God's unending, unbroken love for us. That's exciting. Number six, the nature of marriage is that it requires mutual sacrifice emphasis on mutual Jenny and I like to think of our marriage as one trying to outserve the other not that one lords it over the other not that one gets walked all over 
that one has to do all the sacrifice, but that we are mutually walking in sacrificial love to each other. Ephesians 5, it says it great, it says it like this. It starts off by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that is kind of the foundation of what Paul says next. He says, you submit to one another. And then he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And again, remember in Genesis chapter 2, it said, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to her. He said, this is not bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And I want to point out to you, and this is what I point out to every single couple I've ever married at their marriage ceremony in front of all of their family and friends. I remind them that God did not take the woman from the man's head that she lorded over him. And God did not take the woman from his foot that he walk all over her. But God took woman from his side so that man and woman in, in this covenant relationship will co-heir together, mutually submitted to one another in sacrificial love. You're a team. Submitting to your husband doesn't mean that he lords it over you. He walks all over you. It also doesn't mean you're a nag. But you are mutually submitted to one another in love. So I remind you all today that God didn't take a woman from man's head, that, that women, you lorded over your husband. And husbands, God didn't take woman from the man's foot that you walk all over, but he took woman from the man's side so that you are joined together side by side, leading your family and your lives together, mutually submitted to one another in love. And I hope that for someone today that is encouraging and uplifting. And the seventh thing, as I conclude, is the foundation of the family. The nature of marriage is the foundation of the marriage. And if you think about point one, that the nature of marriage is man and woman, that's the only way that you can have a foundation of family. Because in the union of marriage, we have procreation. When, when the the, that sexual activity consummates the marriage and, and families are built. It is the foundation of the family. And so married people, if you have kids or you want to have kids, I want to encourage you to never put the kids before your marriage, but always prioritize your marriage first and it will make parenting a whole lot easier. And when you invite Christ into your marriage, your marriage can be healthier. And that in turn invites Christ into your home and it will make you very successful. And this is a push and a pull. This is a struggle. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect marriage. If Jenny and I have certainly known struggle. We have certainly known what it means to have differences. And next month we will be married 15 years to the glory of God not our own. But when you invite Christ to be in the center, your strong marriage will be the foundation for your family. I can't tell you how many times in the last 15 years of ministry that I have learned or come to find out there are so many adults that are still battling hurts and unforgiveness that happened in their adolescence. 
20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, you name it. If they're still breathing, there are people that still hold resentment in their heart as an adult for what took place in their adolescence. Many that have a wound in their heart by a father or a mother. You see, what happens in our homes is more just about winning an argument. It's the foundation of our family. And the success of our kids will come will either be difficulty and struggle or they can triumph based upon the health of the home that they live in. The health of the home they live in will be determined a lot by the health of marriages. So if you're married and you have kids, your marriage is the foundation of your family. I know that for me, I'm a, I am a product of divorce. My parents divorced. And, and I do not condone divorce I think that regard, we have seen, here's the thing, there are biblical reasons for divorce. We know this. And people that have even had biblical reasons have worked towards reconciliation, and God has still done something beautiful in their lives if the two are mutually willing to work on it. Sometimes it, you can't make the other half work on it, and divorce happens. And we'll talk about divorce more next week. But listen, if you're married, I want you to fight for your marriage. And if you have children, I want you to understand the importance of your healthy marriage because it leaks out to your kids. And the way that you fight and the way you forgive will be their example, you see. So what tools do we give our kids in this way? So here's what I want you to know. That this is the, I want to show you the, the devil's tactic, this, the enemy's tactic to, to really just uh, continue to bring brokenness and disparity to humanity. And this is, his, this is his tactic right here. Look at the screens. This is his tactic. Destroy the family. Destroy the church. Destroy the community. Destroy the nation. You see, because if the devil came after the nation, we'd go to war. If the devil came after the community, we'd stand up to him. If the devil comes after our church today, we rally together, don't we? But he's sneaking in because he'll wreck your home and it wrecks the church and it wrecks the community and it wrecks the nation. And we could talk a lot more about how all the, the implications of all that and what that means. But here's what I want you to know of what God wants to do. God wants to heal the family, heal the church, heal the community, and heal the nation. So those of us married, stay on the journey. You will have to learn to build a strong family. You will have to learn to forgive frequently and fast. <laughs> when we talk about forgiveness in my family, we talk about we always we talk about those three Fs. Forgiveness happens fast and frequently. So we're not going to harbor unforgiveness. We're going to release you really quick, and then I'm probably going to have to forgive you many more times. It needs to happen fast and frequently. Otherwise, that resentment and unforgiveness begins to really bring disparity in the marriage, in the family. And then listen, people walk into our community of church 
and it affects those around them. And then when the church is not functioning as God created, God, listen, the local church, I believe, is God's answer to being the hope of the world. And so it all starts, and I'm praying, when I pray for revival, I'm not praying for any specific activity in a service. I'm praying for a revival that happens in our homes where marriages are stronger than they've ever been. Children are, 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 are in alignment with the vision of their family and being released to do great things because of their, their experience of kingdom things, not in a church service, but in their everyday lives, in their homes. And if we do that, we'll have a great church. We'll make a great difference. And I think it will begin to turn the, the nation. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to just close in prayer. I don't need any music or anything at this time. But if we could just stand with me. I hope that you're encouraged today. And I hope that maybe this even helps align us to some things today. Because like I said, that I was going to give you things about marriage and family. To be happily ever after. That we may not hear. You won't hear from Hollywood. You won't hear in a uh, romantic comedy. But there is a design that God stepped back and he called it good and to not use it according to its instructions will lead to harm. And I know that in a room of this size with this many people we all represent a number of mistakes that we have made in relationships even mistakes that we've made with sexual activity, mistakes we've made in faithfulness, we represent probably a bit of all of it today. We also represent uh, what it means to be a victim of somebody else's bad decisions, of parents that divorced or abuse of some kind. We've all been there. I, I represent some of those hurts and pains too. And in a conversation like this today about something as intimate and vulnerable as marriage and family, I know it probably brings a lot of things to the surface. And before we leave today, I want to have a moment where we can just give all these things back to God. And also give us an opportunity to ask God for forgiveness for the areas that we are falling short in, even now or in the past, and making a new commitment to moving forward as families, as married people, or even if you're single, there were things today here that apply to you that we want to be in alignment for something as powerful as marriage and family and the way God designed it, that we have maybe misused it. We've got some, we've got some burns, but we want to use it appropriately and make the biggest difference in our lives. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Just with eyes closed, just you, just God. You're not standing before me today. You're standing before God. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Devin, I'm like the one adult that still struggles from pain developed in my adolescence, and I need to be free from that today. And that freedom will come through forgiveness, that you can release that hurt and pain today by forgiving the offender. And I know that forgiveness feels like they get off scot-free without consequence. But I want to remind you that when God forgave you, you received the same. You got off scot-free. 
without consequence. That's the nature of forgiveness. But to re- hold on to forgiveness, you think that you're punishing them, but the reality is you're punishing yourself and you've built a prison that you now live in. A reality that you play over and over in your head every day or every time you get close to another person in relationship, every time into the subject of intimacy comes up, you think about the abuse, you think about things that you need to go, let God heal your heart today. There's nothing else that you that God has to do. He's done everything. You just have to accept it today. So, Father, we just right now, every single one of us, Lord, may you right now just bring to the surface of our heart areas of unforgiveness, areas of hurt. Maybe someone's been through a divorce in the past, and that pain still lingers. They're still afraid of the future because they don't want to repeat what they've done. But, Lord, I know that your grace is sufficient here and now and that your mercies are new every morning and those that are lord wounded on the inside that we we carry this wound from someone's abuse or we're a victim to someone else's poor choices and it affects how we relate in our current relationships and marriages i pray that god you would give us the courage to forgive And I know that you have the power then to heal that wound. Lord, I pray for every married couple in our church, every married couple here in this room, that there would be a strength that is arising in their marriage. My prayer is that every day, Jenny and I will be closer than the day before. Help us in the times when when we struggle, when we disagree, Help us to walk in grace. Help us to remember our covenant of a permanent union. And for those, the God, that are are not married, but they want to be married one day, help them to, God, guard their purity so that on the day they get married, they have a treasure to give their spouse. Lord, that we would walk in great purity as a church, that families would be stronger than ever before. And when you heal the family, you heal the church, you heal the community, and you heal the nation. And we we don't know, we can't say what's going to happen for someone else or some other city, but in our house, in our church, in our community, we have a personal responsibility. And may we operate according to the manufacturer's instructions so that when marriage and relationships are used in the appropriate way, It is powerful and beneficial in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God one big praise. Come on. He's the ultimate example of the faithful one that we're called to be.